Support for Alleist comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years of Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, with over 200 films May 1st through 10th. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel, and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at laist.com slash events. I found a video of Oscar Gomez being interviewed after a rally at UC Santa Barbara in 1991. Uh, right now, we're, uh, we're interviewing people to see their reactions after uh, the events of today. Simon. And uh, can you state your name and where you're okay. from? Simon, Oscar Gomez, a.k.a. El Bandido, the UC Davis. What are, what are your reactions uh, today, Shad? And what, what do you think uh, was accomplished? A lot of things were accomplished as far as... Um, as UC Davis coming all the way from where we're at to come down into Apoyara, uh, Mr. Acuna, and he brought a sense of, uh, of union among the raza to, uh, to let him know. And once again, Oscar's surrounded by a few other student activists. He's the tallest, bending down a little to speak into the microphone, wearing sunglasses and a brown Baja hoodie. This is actually the first time I've heard him outside his radio show. Here, he sounds more casual relaxed, in some ways, more personable. It's about us, I see Metro taking, as far as mentioning all the, all the Rasa taking another direction, going into the 21st century with more indígena conciencia. And I think that's the root, and that's going to be our power. You know, because that's where our pride is and our races are. And um, they've been long, they've been, they've been stomped on too long. And so it's, all right, can you state your name and where you're At from? first, my eyes are glued to Oscar. But then... I'm looking at his crew, and I realize there's someone important standing behind Oscar and the interviewer, another Chicano activist. He's quiet in this video, and he's a little shorter, with a thin black mustache and a brown beret. It's Noel Huerta. He was Oscar's good friend. He's also my first person of interest in this investigation. After Oscar's death... A lot of Oscar's family and friends saw Noel as suspicious. That's according to Oscar's friend Ricardo Tapia, who we heard from last episode at Oscar's grave. Ricardo calls Noel by his nickname, Nene. Nene knew who killed him. Nene knew who killed Oscar. It was his buddies from Hazard. Big Hazard is an infamous gang from the Ramona Gardens public housing development in Boyle Heights. Is, was Nene, Nene in Big yeah. Hazard? He wasn't in Big Hazard. But all his family, his friends, he grew up in that area. Oscar was kind of um, made a big impact on Nene. I thought he was our friend. Like Oscar, Noel was also a Chicano student activist. According to Ricardo, Oscar marched with Noel on November 16, 1994, the day before Oscar died. He was supposed to stay at Noel's place in Santa Barbara. Ricardo believes there was a party that night. They all gathered at, at either his house or his buddy's house or somebody's house. Um, there was two girls there. Those two girls were the girlfriends of two of his buddies from, from Hazard. Oscar having his, his, uh, his tape recorder. So he's interviewing them about what's going on. And that's when those, the, two, the two guys walk in. According to Ricardo, these two guys are mad at Oscar. Why do they get all pissed off? If you ever knew Oscar, he was tall. He was pretty cut up. 
good looking. They probably thought he's moving in on our girl. Why are you intervening on our girls? This is the first time I'm hearing about the possibility of gang involvement in Oscar's death. What Ricardo's telling me, broadly, does match up with what we know from the coroner's report from the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office. The report says Oscar was last seen alive on November 16th, around 9.30 p.m., in the Isla Vista neighborhood of Santa Barbara. Isla Vista's right next to campus, and a lot of students live there. The report says the victim was intoxicated and indicated to his friends that he wanted to get out of the apartment and walk around for a while. Why Oscar left the apartment and what happened to him after? That's still a mystery. But Ricardo's saying at least one of those friends was Noel, Nene. Ricardo believes Oscar was killed, and he believes members of Big Hazard were involved. What do you want us to find out? It'll give some comfort to know, oh yeah, you know what, we were right, or hey, you know what, we were wrong. I could be blaming Nene for something he didn't do. You know, I would like to know. And if it's my, if it's my bad, you know, my fault, my error, my apologies to the family. You know, my apologies, you know, but I need to know. So just to be clear, Nene told you that there were friends of his from Big Hazard there. Mm -hmm. Did he, did Nene say that they killed Oscar? No, he didn't say that. He tried to diffuse it and try to uh, make me believe that nothing happened. If you know anything about those kind of people, something happened. I'm Adolfo Guzman Lopez, and this is Imperfect Paradise, the Forgotten Revolutionary. We're about to get closer to the night that Oscar died, and it gets way more complicated than I could have imagined. This episode, What No End Knew. I wish I could ask Noel Huerta directly what happened that night, what he knows. But he died in 2017. He was 45 years old. Ricardo Tapia is not the only one who is suspicious of Noel. After Oscar's death, the Gomez family felt like Noel avoided them. When we talked, Mr. and Mrs. Gomez said they believed Noel kept a secret about their son's death. Mr. Gomez even keeps a copy of Noel's obituary as a possible clue. It's written by Noel's brother, Alvaro, who's now an accomplished Chicano scholar. Mr. Gomez brings the obituary up pretty early in our conversations. We, we, we've seen it, and I yeah. saw that uh, piece. That? I read, read that piece, yeah. What did you see in there that interested you? I, I see, I, I see like, a, like a, his brother said something to him, and then, and then he's trying to, to write it to kind of get it off his chest, kind of get it off whatever. Mr. Gomez is saying Noel must have said something to Alvaro, something that Alvaro's trying to hint at in Noel's obituary. In there and says that, that, uh, that Oscar was like a big influence in him, in him dying, I guess, or whatever, whatever happened to him. Yeah. And he doesn't say what Here's happened. what the obituary says. While Noel experienced, witnessed violent events in the projects, 
in Santa Barbara, nothing could prepare him for the tragic and mysterious death of one of his best friends, Oscar El Bandido Gomez, in 1994. While we'll never know what happened to Oscar, a smart, talented, and handsome young Chicano, this tragic incident had a major emotional mental impact on Noel until the end. Once leaving Santa Barbara, Noel withdrew from activism, mainly due to the death of his homeboy. If I remember correctly, he says that Oscar's death was the most significant, affected his brother for the rest of his life. Yeah. So the question is, how? Because he didn't say how. I think it would be interesting just to to hear him say, you know, how did Oscar's life of uh, death affected him? Obviously it did, because he was the last one to see him. Alvaro is a professor, so I find his contact info online quick. I email him, asking if we can talk. To my surprise, he replies an hour later, saying he remembers me. He tells me I interviewed him for a story more than a decade ago. He writes me that he's tried to avoid this issue, but that he wants to set the record straight about his brother. When I give him a call, he sounds threatening, angry that there's still blame laid on Noel. If you're accusing my brother, he says, we have a problem. That's after the break. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Alaist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events. Producer Natalie Chudnovsky and I meet Alvaro Huerta at his townhouse in the west side of Los Angeles. It's clean and spacious, white walls, high ceilings. As we turn our phones off, Alvaro takes the opportunity to crack a joke. Ooh, which yeah. one is that? Which one is that? Oh, it's a 12. Yeah. I stole it. I got it at MacArthur Park. <laughs> <laughs> Alvaro is a skinny man, well-dressed in a suit jacket, as if he's going to do a TV interview. He's much less intimidating than he was on the phone, cracking jokes about teaching class over Zoom in his pajamas. He has a small, chubby, white dog named Lobo, Wolf in Spanish. Lobo patters over whenever Alvaro raises his voice or gets emotional. Let's uh, have you say your name and what you do, please. Okay, I'm a, Dr. Alvaro Huerta. I'm um, a fellow at Harvard Divinity School, uh, and I'm an associate professor at Cal Poly Pomona. I ask Alvaro about how his family came to Ramona Gardens, and he starts the story way back in Mexico. He says his grandfather fled a violent family feud in Michoacán, a feud that rivaled the Hatfields and McCoys. They moved to Tijuana and worked the fields in San Diego. 
then moved to Hollywood into a home with 30 people. From there, Alvaro says his mother applied for public housing. That's how they moved to Ramona Gardens. Now, Ramona Gardens happens to be one of the most violent neighborhoods in, in the United States, uh, also known as Big Hazard, um, the Big Hazard Projects. A friend of mine grew up in Ramona Gardens around the same time the Huertas did, and he knows all about the Big Hazard gang. He saw a lot of violence there, which is, in part, why he doesn't want me to use his name. He's told me about teenagers attacked with machetes and drive-by shootouts with rival gangs. And also, a time when police officers threatened to shoot him simply for being a Ramona Gardens resident. Alvaro has similar memories. So when we got there in the 70s, you get to the neighborhood and you have to fight, you know, they... That's the initiation, you know. Fight against who? The neighborhood kids. So they welcome you and they beat you up and then they hug you. You're, you're one of us now, you know. I grew up in National City, Mexican-Filipino neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. But, but not, my parents took me out of the community to, for schools and everything. So I, I never really had to cross gang territory and had to deal with them and everything. But the impression, you've heard this, that you get jumped in and, and then you're in, right? But... I mean, yes and no. The, the thing with when they're kids is different. So when they're kids, they're just like playing, you know, it's pretend. And then, um, and then some take it seriously and then they go in that direction. So you always have like one guy whose who's older brothers are in the gang and they're killers uh, and they've been in and out of prison. So a lot of times, even though they're smaller than you, they, like, they're bullies and they pick on you because they know you can't do anything to them. Like I was always like nervous and because I was skinny all my life to the present. So I didn't have like a physical like, abilities to fight. Uh, so over time I had like a defense mechanism. I was funny and I still am, you know, apart from being good looking. And so a lot of times I would, I would make the, the local kid, the, like the bully, the main guy, like laugh and then he liked me. You know? Even though I didn't grow up in a place like Ramona Gardens, I can relate to what Alvaro's saying. When there's violence around you, you have to figure out ways to defend yourself. National City, where I grew up, is also home to some historic gangs. At 12, I decided to start working out because I wanted to look strong. Every time I saw a man on the street, I sized him up, trying to figure out if he was a threat. It was dysfunctional. Uh, you know, growing up in a place like that, in the inside the household and outside. But at the end of the day, if somebody messes with one of us, then they're going to get it from all of us. So, so we, we live in an environment where, you know, they, they used to pick on my brothers a lot and my sister. So I used to go beat up the kids that used to pick on them. So it was just you were obligated to do that. So violence has always been part of our, 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 our family. And it's not something that we're afraid of, Alvaro says their father didn't talk much, didn't share emotions, and wasn't the type to say, hey, son, let's go outside and play catch. In a house with eight kids, it sounds like Alvaro took on a parental role toward his little brother, Noel. I hear a fatherly pride as Alvaro talks about how Noel found ways to excel despite the violence and dysfunction around him. He got into like uh, pop-locking and, and, and breakdancing. So when he got into that, he, he was really good at it. So I would take him places, and then he would compete against other kids. 
And in sports, when he would play baseball, he was the pitcher. When he played football, he was the, he was the, the quarterback. Alvaro says Noel was a better student at school than he was. As a teenager, Noel read the writings of thinkers like Malcolm X. He got accepted into both UCLA and UC Berkeley when he was 17. And then ends up uh, going to UC Santa Barbara. Did he take a step further and get involved or want to start an organization or joined any organizations at UC Santa Barbara? Noel was already politicized at, at 14. So by the time he got to Santa Barbara, he became involved in El Congreso. El Congreso is UC Santa Barbara's version of Mecha, the Chicano student organization. That's actually how Noel met another friend of Oscar's, Judith Segura Mora. She's the one who recruited Oscar to Mecha at UC Davis. We heard from her last episode. She and Noel dated on and off for two years around this time. So she has another perspective on who he was during college and what happened after Oscar died. What do I need to know about Noel Huerta as a, as a, as a person, as an intellectual person? Oh, he was very, um, like a historian, deeply involved in the details of the Chicano movement from the 60s on up, which was part of the reason why I was attracted to that, like the intellectual curiosity. Judith and Noel were no longer dating when Oscar died, but they were still close enough that he told her about that night. Judith says Noel told her there was a party, like we've heard about before, a tense exchange over a girl. And then Oscar left to chill out. But after Oscar's death, many of his family and friends, like Oscar's parents, like Ricardo, started wondering if there wasn't more to Noel's version of what happened. Instantly, the suspicion started going against Noel. Why would he let him walk off by himself? when he was um, pushed out of the party. And that created a lot of tension for me because on, on the one hand, Noel and I were not in a relationship by that time, but I was still very much a committed friend. I trusted him. I knew that he would never do anything to hurt Oscar. But it was possible negligence to not, like, to be under the influence in a party, and then your friend is having conflict with someone and is being uh, forced to leave. And Noel being at the party, the party is more important for the moment than the bigger commitment to think, you know, something's going to happen to my friend. I could have a different opinion about what happened because Oscar was also one who was not going to be told what to do. So let's, you know, let's assume that uh, um, Noel is telling him, hey man, don't leave, don't leave. Things will be cool, things will be cool. But Oscar now didn't feel welcomed. And he said, no man, I'm getting the, you know, I'm getting out of here. And walks off on his own. I could see that scenario as well. Either way, About 15 hours later, Oscar was found lifeless on the shore, a mile and a half away. And as the person closest to Oscar that night, Noel does seem to be the one most likely to know what happened. This all raises a lot of questions for me. And Noel's brother, Alvaro, has some answers. That's after the break. 
Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. <laughs> yeah, I think they're so smart. Just, what the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Alvaro Huerta remembers Oscar Gomez well. He was one of his brother's good friends. Noel started hanging out with, with Oscar through the Congreso. You know, Congreso and Mecha, it's really the same thing. I only met Oscar once in, in one of those big rallies. The guy, he, he reminded me a lot about my brother. You know, he had everything. He was a good-looking dude. Uh, he was smart, uh, talented, uh, and then he loved music. And then him and my, I think that's what brought, him and my brother had a lot in common because they both love music. And then being Chicano, being in a predominantly white school, they gravitate towards each other. So it's, it's creating like safe spaces for each other, you know. So Oscar's body was found November 17th, 94. When did Nene call you? I don't remember like the exact, I mean, back then there was no cell phones or anything like that. So I don't remember the, the exact, um, like the first time I talked to him about it. But um, here's what happened. So there was like four guys, they were drinking and they, Oscar got into a fight with one of them. Okay. And then, then it broke it up. Uh, and at this point, I don't even remember if it was night or not. It, it might have been. And then Oscar left because he was pissed off. So by the time Nene and the, and the guy started looking for him because they were worried, they couldn't find him. So far, this version of the story is similar to what we've heard before. Who are those four guys? No, no, like two other guys. No, but the four you said. Nene, Oscar, and two guys. Oh, I thought you meant there were four guys in addition to... Okay. There's four total. So it was Nene, Oscar, and two guys. Yeah, I was confused because I'd heard there were more. The reason I'm stuck on this detail is that I want to find out who else was there the night Oscar died. Who were the two guys? They were from Machis. There were students at Santa Barbara. I don't know their names, and I never asked. A... Childhood friend of Oscar's who we talked to recently said that Nene called him the day after uh, Oscar was found and told him that they were friends of Nene's from Big Hazard. That's not true. He's lying. That's not true. Those were students. I asked Nene, I asked him point blank, what happened? And he told me. So everybody, see, there's a lot of rumors out there. 
Okay, and I put everything I say, I'm the name of my mother, my son, and everything I find sacred, you know? right? So there's no reason for me to lie. I'm most loyal more than anything to my family. So if there's something that like, it's gonna hurt my family, am I gonna protect them? Yes. Am I gonna talk about it? No. You know, am I gonna like snitch on my family or say something that's gonna, no, I'm never gonna do that. You know, that, that's kind of like where we're from. We're, we're, we have that mentality, like if somebody does something bad, you, you deal with it in-house. You don't, you don't turn them over to the cops. You don't do that, you know. Although, help me understand this, Alvaro. Just a moment ago, though, I kind of heard you say that no ibas a decir algo que iba a perjudicar a tu familia. You, you wouldn't say something that would put your family at Right, risk. right, right, right. So in a way, I, I kind of heard that say if it was. You, if they were no, big but, but, but guys, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. No, but it wasn't, though. It wasn't. I understand what you're saying, but I, like I live, like, I'm just trying to give you an understanding who I am. This is the codes that I live under, you know. But wh how, <laughs> how are two guys from the projects going to be in the apartment? That is stupid. That's the stupidest thing. That's, that's a university. There was no two guys from Hazard. That, that's not true. Why would they even go to the project? My, bro my brother wasn't from Hazard. Why would they hang out? Guys from Hazard only hang out with other guys from Hazard. It doesn't work that way. See, this is what I mean about be being logical. If you're not in a gang, you're like a civilian. You don't hang out with the gang members. If those guys were from Hazard, those guys don't mess around. Okay? Those guys don't mess around. They would have jumped them right there. At the house? Yeah. They would have just jumped them and that's it. Like, literally, like, not that they would have killed them, but they would have just beat them up and... Well, they're out of their element, Alvaro. They're away from... Th th that's not how these guys were. They're, you're, they're, at, they're at an apartment or they're, they're partying. So there's not, so that, that whole thing, that whole has to be like stricken for the record. That doesn't make sense at all. There, there's no ground, there's no basis for it. Nene never told you about a particular no, we didn't inciting get thing or? It goes back to this, we just don't ask questions. You know? Like when things happen in the neighborhood, you don't ask questions. So like if somebody gets into a fight or, or, or somebody sells somebody drugs and something goes wrong, we don't ask like who did it, what happened. Like it's just part of, you know, how you grew up, you know. So, so the questions that I was most concerned about were what happened in terms of like with the cops, you know. Because what ended up happening was that the cops interrogated everybody. That would have been part of the report, you know. It was gang affiliated. What did Nene tell you about when they interviewed him? Well, they asked them the same questions that everybody, everybody's asking is, like, what happened? And, like, in exactly the story that I'm telling you, that's, exact, that's what happened, and that's what he told the cops. Now, if there was something suspicious, then the cops would have, would have arrested him. Nobody's saying he was involved. I mean, I've never heard that, so, for the record. Like I said, I'm being honest here. But, like, that he knew who did it, you know? That's, that's the rumor. And then with this guy saying that the guys from Hazard were there, that's not true. My brother, he, didn't, he wasn't in the gang, never in the gang. He didn't hang out with the guys from Hazard. So that's a lie. After Oscar's death, Noel withdrew from Oscar's family and friends. Oscar's family said they were not able to sit down and talk to Noel about what happened. They saw it as a sign that he was hiding something. But Alvaro Huerta says that withdrawal was actually about something else. Regret. Regret that Noel didn't stop Oscar from leaving the party. 
what really affected him is that it was like he was the last one to see him and then in his mind like I could have done something like I could have prevented his death so it's kind of this guilt there do you remember him telling you something yeah. to that effect what, yeah. what did he say to you once he left like that my brother he did go after him but it was too late right so it was kind of like I don't know if it was a minute or two I don't know if Oscar ran you know what I mean Cause, see that's the unknown we don't know so I'm not going to speculate once he left nobody knows what happened so even if it wasn't true just the questions being um, like launched at him or uh, like he's like literally being attacked from different directions it affected him you know his mental health you know In the years after, Noel's siblings found success. Alvaro is a professor and Harvard fellow. Another brother, Salomon, is a nationally renowned painter. And Alvaro says Noel was the smartest of them all. But Alvaro says Noel's life took a turn because of these accusations. A turn that affected him for the rest of his life. What was going on with Nene? Where was he living? What was it? Did he hold down a job? Oh, no, no. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. It goes back to what I'm saying about you know, protecting his... Uh... The thing, he passed away, so I don't want to shine light on that because if, if he was alive, I, w- I would let him like, speak for himself. You know? But like, at the end of the day, we're a family, so we, as a family, we always like, protect ourselves and protect each other. All I can say with that is like, that the, the Oscar incident, it, it was like a traumatic... Uh, incident that that affected him through the rest of his life and and part of it had to do with like his own guilt like him thinking to himself I could have done this I could have done that you know it's like you want to go back and you, but you can't go back in your obituary you didn't say how he died no no how did he die no no it goes back to him saying I'm not, I'm not going to get into that you know yeah, what I said in the, in the wake, he, like he died of a broken heart. Yeah, it was. How can I put it? To grow up the way we did, you have to be. You have to lose your humanity. In order to to withstand that and to come out alive. If you have your humanity, if you have your, your then you, you're not gonna make it. But it's not normal for anybody to see violence, like as a kid. It's not normal for like to see that your friend got killed or, no, I'm not talking about Oscar, I'm talking before that. About yourself? My whole family. You've seen people get killed? Yeah. And you're saying you witnessed that, Nene also witnessed those things. Yeah, he witnessed it. All my, my whole family did. And so a lot of times with the homeboys, they channel that and they become that, right? If nobody gives a fuck about me, why should I give a fuck about anybody? But the thing with Nene is that he was too sensitive. That was his problem. When something happened, it, it impacted him more than the average person. Okay? And, or... or like as Chicanos, as males, you know, we're, we're not accustomed like to say I love you. You know, like I never told my father I loved him, for example. 
And he never told me. But Nene would say, like, I love you. Nene would say that to you? Yeah. Do you think he taught you to say that? Yeah, and that's what I said at, at the funeral, you know. I'm feeling what Alvaro's saying here. I say I love you to my wife and two kids. But it's hard for me to say, te amo, te quiero, to my own mother. I had cousins in Mexico who were openly affectionate. So where did I get that from? I remember my mom saying I love you when I was a little kid. But then I also remember when she stopped saying it. It was when we moved in with my stepfather. I knew she loved me. One way she expressed her love was that she threw me birthday parties every year, even into my late 20s. It was like she had saved up all her love from the year into that one day. She'd make a yellow cake with Cool Whip icing and strawberries. She'd get a piñata, MC the events, ushering family members to take multiple photos. But I remember feeling there was something missing. Looking back now, what was missing was saying the words out loud. My feelings about it now are complicated. I wish it was different. But I believe she did the best she could. Like Alvaro and like Nene, she came from a legacy of violence and instability. Her father was murdered when she was three. She was a field worker as a little kid. It all gets so much more complicated when you understand where someone is really coming from. It's just that people, the problem with most people, they, like I said, they, they just don't understand, you know, and then they don't have sympathy. And they, they're, they just, it's, it's easy and quick to judge. But nobody that comes from the projects is a normal person. You know, myself included. For other people who judge or to try to figure out why Nene lived his life that he did or the however he lived, then that's why I say he died from a broken heart because, you know, with, with people like that, that's like, they're like too kind, you know? Like, you have to be mean. You have, you have to have that mean side to, like, your friend, like, ah, he died, you know, I have to live on. He wasn't like that, you know. I came into this interview with my own preconceived notions of Ramona Gardens and Big Hazard, and about Noel, who I imagined as this rough kid who grew up in the projects. I came in thinking Noel was a suspect, but now I think he might have been another victim in Oscar's death. In our reporting, we reached out to other UC Santa Barbara friends of Noel from this time, including his roommate. And they also don't remember Noel hanging out with members from Big Hazard in Santa Barbara or mentioning them in relation to Oscar's death. So while I can't totally discount the Big Hazard theory, I can tell you that we have not found any evidence to support it. 
I'll keep it in the back of my mind, but it feels less likely to me now. What feels more pressing is to go to Santa Barbara, to walk the campus and the shoreline, and to find out what Noel himself told law enforcement when he was questioned. When I looked through Oscar's death report from the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department, it says there was intense investigation from major crimes investigators. If so, there must be some documentation that survived. Maybe interviews with suspects, some details that I haven't seen yet. So where is that report? And what's in it? The the whole file is over 150 pages. And all that's public record, right, that I can request? Well, see, here's the problem. So, and let me answer a question with a question. What is the, what are you guys looking into this for? That's in the next episode. Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary is written, reported, and hosted by me, Adolfo Guzman Lopez. The show is a production of Elias Studios. Antonia Cerejido and Leo G are the executive producers for Elias Studios. Natalie Chudnovsky is the lead producer, and our associate producers are James Chow and Francisco Avilespino. Editing by Audrey Quinn. Fact-checking by Audrey Regan. Mixing by our engineer, E. Scott Kelly. Our music supervisor is Doris Anahi Munoz. The music is written, performed, and recorded by Joseph Quinones at Secondhand Studios in Rialto, California. Our website, Elias.com, is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Elias Studios. The marketing team of Elias Studios created our branding. Thanks to the team at Elias Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, Emily Guerin, and Leo G. Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary, is a production of Elias Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.